The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. As always, you got P-Nate and Pootie in the studio. Garage Mahal, our hideout. I got it right this time. Got it right. Feel pretty good about it. Solitude, Batcave. You know what? Let me point out, I've been watching the Batman movies recently. Hmm. The Nolan versions. It's, this is a weird tradition. They're Christmas movies to me. That's weird. They, they all came out in December, but they they feel like Christmassy, like not Christmas. Actually, don't quote me on that. I don't know if that's true, but I know at least two of them did. One has snow. That's that. Like that's all I know. <laughs> that's all you know. That's and it's. It feels like it's cold while while I'm watching it, and they're dark. And I like dark movies in the winter because you know it's dark early and whatnot. So anyway, we were watching that. I know it's weird. That is weird. Um, but we've been watching it recently, and I've been uh, so Batcave is all that you said there that sparked that. It felt great about it. Okay, totally. Uh, we're we're our, this is not boding well for the show, but I got another bunny trail that, off that one. <laughs> so the Van Brimmers. Um, who are our friends on the Rebel Alliance Media. They have the Awakening Reformation podcast and the Fathers of the Faith podcast. You know, I tied all that in, so it's not a huge bunny trail. Yep, the yep. Van Brimmers, our friends, Rebels. Um, there's a debate in their house as to whether or not The Nightmare Before Christmas is a Halloween or a Christmas movie. The night- I, I, I don't think it should be a debate. Which is it to you? It's a Christmas movie. Thank you. Yes. I don't know if they're, I don't know which side of the thing they're on. I don't know. I don't even know. So this is the true test, Erica and Grant. I don't know which one of you in your marital perils of, of arguing over this. I don't know who's on which side, but whoever believes it's a Christmas movie is correct. That's, that's a hundred percent right. Yeah. The other one not only is incorrect, is in sin. <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna say it. there you go <laughs> I'm just gonna say Pooty just called you out so those are our friends the rebels um and actually um I want to give a, a a quick shout out speaking of Christmas and the Van Brimmers to their um advent series which will be coming out just a little shortly after this uh, episode airs um it's going to be super solid I'm stoked about it so uh, make sure you check that out at rebelalliancemedia.com or uh, on Facebook okay so we got some rebel news and we're going to transition into that so I have a really interesting one that I think is is uh, just stellar, <laughs> if if I don't mind, if you don't <laughs> mind me saying. Um, okay, so the Canadian Down Syndrome Society is attempting to draw attention to the plight of people with Down syndrome um, with a new campaign, and the new campaign is called Endangered Syndrome. This okay. is really interesting. So this this new campaign, uh, they've launched kind of a petition calling for those with Down syndrome to be placed on the endangered list. Now, this is coming from a, a secular point of view. So like endangered species, right? And yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. they consider, you know, humans just an advanced animal. We obviously disagree with that. But I think this is really interesting. So they're asking that Down, people with Down syndrome be placed on the endangered list because... 
over 90% of kid babies who would be diagnosed with Down syndrome in Canada are aborted. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is over 90% are aborted. And so they've recognized this. And what they're saying is that this is selective abortion, right? Which is true. It's, it's 100% true. And, and so they're saying you put, put um, people with Down syndrome on the endangered list. And, and obviously people who work within, you know, these with, with uh, you know, in this field and obviously the Canadian Down Syndrome Society people would, they have a heart for, for people with Down Syndrome and they know, and you know, we have, we have some people that we're close to um, who I, I just, so, so wonderful. My life is enriched because I know these individuals. And so you imagine, you know, people who work with um, people with Down Syndrome all, all the time, they see all these amazing qualities in them and they're saying, you know, over 90% of them aren't getting a chance to live because of abortion. And I, I look at this, I'm like, bravo. Keep it going. Keep it going. Like, let, I, I want the secular world to start shining a light on selective abortion because I think in our culture where, you know, the protection of all the different minorities, um, I think this is the one message that might actually, you know, obviously it all has to do with the sovereign God and how he's going to allow the message to be received. But um, I think that this is a message that might pierce through even the hard hearts of the pagans. Um, you know, the God might use it to do so because gender selective abortion is, is, is becoming prevalent and, uh, and now, obviously, uh, the uh, Canadian Down Syndrome Society is shining light on, on abortion that's selective of, of healthy people. So I, I think this is huge. I, you know, I, I, I look forward to this campaign getting launched, which is supposed to launch in 2019. And I think uh, bravo. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. It's, it's, I didn't know that about Canada. I knew in Iceland they have a goal to make... Um, Down syndrome completely extinct in their culture by like 2020 or something. Right. So that's actually the uh, that's in this article it says um, Iceland people with Down syndrome have been virtually wiped out by abortion. Um, over 96 percent of um, uh, pre-born children diagnosed with Down syndrome are aborted in Iceland. Yeah. See, that's sickening. Um, think I, in the I, states. Just for the record, for uh, our American listeners, it's 75 percent. That's still still um, ridiculous. Yeah. I I would like to, I would like to just let's just look at this a different way. So if at any point in a in a in the globe you learned of a country that was killing ninety percent, even seventy five percent of any demographic of any demographic, you would be up in arms for the United States military, the Canadian military, for the British military. Well, I was going to say the French military, but they don't have one um, <laughs> to mobilize and go and stop this tyrant right. that's doing these things in these countries. We've all well, the French would just surrender. <laughs> so she was a world war. The French is a bad example. Um, I have a fr friend in France, so I thought of it, but uh, the Germans, the yeah. Russians, um, we've we would instantly be up in arms campaigning outside of our MP offices yeah. for our countries to go to war to totally. stop this kind of ethnic cleansing like type type genocide that's happening yet when it's abortion we just turn a blind eye to it um and i i'm so bravo to this the secular group that's throwing it out there because i think you're 100 percent right once the world starts seeing these these things be like we're this isn't just 
abortion for an unwanted baby now. This is an um, this is an abortion for to specifically get rid of yeah unwanted things for a big. I don't want a girl. We've we've all heard somebody say about like how bad abortion is in China because they only abort females. Right. Because males have value in their society. And I'm not making, I'm trying not to make as big of a, but stereotypically males have value in their society. Women don't. Yep. So we've all heard of those stories where like just they kill, they kill the girls. I might even have that reverse to be honest with you, but they kill the girls until they get the, and we're all up in arms about that. Well, this is the same thing happening in our own country. And so bravo to these groups that are getting that. And I think Christian's feel feel free to start sharing that and getting behind that kind of totally. a, kind yep. of a movement. I agree. Right, you got a piece of rebel news. Yeah, I have. I have. You know what? It's interesting that this kind of worked out. Sovereignty of God works. I actually just got a text another a few minutes as we were about to record saying basically in bringing this to my attention. This kind of is the reverse. It's almost like a praise rebel news article. So rebel praise report. Rebel praise <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, everybody who's ever been at a church who says we're gonna have a praise report just cringed. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Wendy's, the restaurant oh, yeah, yeah. Wendy's, which obviously, if you've seen me, I'm a fan of. Um, they they they're actually doing something. I think we should shed some light when, like you said, when a company is doing something that's good in the world, we should also be bringing that to light as well. So they have a don't they have a basically a mission. Wendy's the restaurant has a mission and it's to dramatically increase the number of adoptions from foster care each year, each mm. year. And so basically the Dave Thomas foundation for adoption is a national nonprofit public charity dedicated to finding permanent homes for 150,000 kids that we have in our foster care system wow. um, right now. Again, just, just the other half, the foster care system where it's just like, well, we didn't want these kids or we couldn't take care of these kids and they go into this. Yeah. Wendy's is trying to help get, get those kids permanent homes. And so Based on every a percentage of every burger that's sold at Wendy's, every fry that's sold at Wendy's goes to fund this nonprofit organization. And I, I just want to say Bravo. that's great. Bravo. In a, in a culture who's exactly in a culture who we get companies like Starbucks who are publicly funding or privately funding Planned Parenthood, and then we see one. Well, here's Wendy's who's publicly funding. Let's get some adoptions happening. I just wanted to bring that to people's light yeah. so we could get behind these kind of kind of things. And also to bring up the fact that we have a lot of kids in in the foster care system and there are people out there called arms. Let's get them permanent homes. Right? Yeah. So. so I think um, kind of application point for us as Christians on both of those points is that um, the you know Christian church is always supposed to uh, contrast the culture. And so if in the culture around us, um, you know, uh, People with Down syndrome are being aborted left, right, and center, um, and uh, there's uh, an epidemic of kids in the in the foster care system. Christians adopt. Christians don't abort your kids with Down syndrome, and and allow your kids with Down syndrome to be you know bring all the joy and all of the the happiness. And and yes, of course, it's it's difficult. It's difficult parenting any kid, let alone somebody with special needs. Um, but uh, God, in His sovereignty, will um, do what only God can do, and that is bring about His glory and our good in uh, our faithfulness. And so. Um, have those kids show the world that those kids not only can be loved, but can actually bring a whole lot of joy and, and love into the world and, uh, and adopt. And let's, let's, you know, let's look different from the world around us. 
We're going to break from Rebel News uh, and we're going to come back and uh, we're going to chat a little bit through um, just uh, interesting topic, I think. Uh, So come on back and uh, and hear what Pootie's got cooked up for you. Hey, it's Dave, the Rebel Alliance Media Tech Guy here. Have you got something you want to tell Rebel listeners about? Now your commercial can be heard right here. The Rebel Podcast gets 10 to 15,000 hits each episode. Great weekly exposure for your business. For more information, visit rebelalliancemedia.com or email the Rebels at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. Thank you. Have you checked out the new Rebel Alliance Media website? rebelalliancemedia.com. It's expanded with more resources, blogs, and podcasts. Catch Grant and Erica Van Brimmer's Awakening Reformation podcast on Tuesdays, their Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids podcast on Mondays, and the Rebel podcast each Wednesday. Don't forget to watch the Rebels video every Friday. Read engaging weekly blog posts on theology and Christian living by Ben Emery and the Van Brimmer's. Study eschatology with Pastor Nate's Eschatology 101 video series and find more resources for Bible study and worldview matters. You can help Rebel Alliance Media expand even more with your financial donation. A one-time or monthly gift would be a great help and much appreciated. Click the donate button at the top of each page. Thank you for following and supporting rebelalliancemedia.com. Welcome back. So as, as Nate said, so wonderfully, I've cooked up this idea. I don't I know. I forgot what we were talking about for a very we, split second. Are we making meth in a wagon of like Breaking Bad? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm Walter awesome. White, FYI. Yeah. You could be Jesse. That that fits. I, uh, that fits. I can't even argue that. That's like, yeah, that's that's I'm the bubbling idiot. That works. All right, but it uh, is. Anyway. You did you did cook something up good for us. No problem. <laughs> that, so that is today's episode topic. <laughs> One of us. So what we what we wanted to talk about today? We we talked last week about blind spots in our in our culture, and it's kind of hard to identify a blind spot because it's no longer a blind spot once you identify. Once it. you identify, it, right? Um, so By what definition, we, you are blind to it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> That's why you're Walter White, Uh, Uh, WW. Anyway, uh, but what we want to talk about now is specifically in the church, just kind of some of the battlegrounds that Christians are at war about in our church and what's kind of up for grabs culturally, but also in our churches. Yeah. Um, And so the way you described this to me, I thought was really good. You said like, what are the battlegrounds right now where Christians are at war with, and then you put in air quotes, Christians, right? (laughs) So, so where are the, where are the battlegrounds? Where are we warring inside the church? for who has say over what is and isn't orthodox. Uh, And I think this is a really interesting topic because I think, you know, there is a war. And, you know, the truth is when you and I um, talk about getting into Facebook fights, right, when we are trying to uh, place social media underneath the feet of Jesus and victory and and, uh, and, uh, espouse biblical truth on social media, we get way more pushback from Christians. I'm doing air quotes again from Christians than we do non-Christians. People who claim to be Christians have way more difficulty with what we say than than none. Although I, we did just Colleen and I just found out the other day that there are a couple non-Christian friends of ours who unfriended us. But so so maybe they're just being silent in in their uh, opposition towards us. But we certainly seem to get into a lot more fights with Christians than non-Christians. So what are the battlegrounds? What are we warring over within the church? 
the, well, within the visible church, I'll say. Yeah, I, I, I think I identified five. Yeah, I, so, I, I thought your list was good. I'm sure our listeners could add to some and we could talk about more, but we only got so much time. So let's go through these five because I think, I think you're, you're spot on. No problem. So the first one I think is, is the, the issue of gay marriage. Yeah, homosexuality um, Homosexuality in, in the church. Yeah. I think the second one is gender roles. So basically women in leadership and feminism, feminism. Exactly. Um, third, the third one I, I see more and more and I think it's, I think I it's know, becoming I'm, a huge I, issue. It, it is. You're uh, absolutely right. And that's hell and the eternal state of the unsaved. Yeah. Um, and then four where I would say social justice. Yep. And then five, which I think really is the foundation of where all the issues come actually is the foundation where all the yeah, issues come. And that's just simply the inerrancy of scripture. Yeah. And, and the I would fact just that add to that inerrancy and sufficiency, right? Like, yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. Um, yeah. So I think, I think you're absolutely right. These are five areas where there is a war being waged within the visible church between Christians and air quote Christians. <laughs> and the truth is I'm, I, and you know, I make a joke about that, but I think there are even some regenerate people who have just been caught up in the lies of a false teacher who might have regenerate hearts and yet um, are have not been sanctified to the place where they, um, because they've been taught improper doctrine. And not just taught improper doctrine, they've been taught improper hermeneutics about how, so when they come up to something in the, in the text that seems plain, they can explain it away culturally. Um, and so I, I think, so anyway, but these, I think, are, you're absolutely right, these are battlegrounds within the visible church between uh, people who believe different things. So just taking them kind of one at a time, homosexuality, I think, is, um, is under attack in a lot of different ways. Um, let's just maybe talk through how we've experienced the battle and just kind of talk about sure. each thing. Is that kind of what you envisioned? Yeah, that's that's great. All right, I like how we're just like doing the administration on the fly here. <laughs> like, how, how should we do this episode? Yeah, yeah we are so prepared. Uh, put away all your notes, Pootie. Yeah, we don't have notes. We, don't, okay. we never have notes. We just wing it. Yeah. So I think with homosexuality, I think um, the main way I hear people who claim to be Christians or people inside the church who, who fight against this is the number one argument is that's Old Testament. And you, you, you eat shellfish and you wear uh, clothes with more than one kind of fabric. So stop being a hypocrite and, and just let people be gay. Um, you know, that's not exactly how they argue it, but that's generally the, the thrust of it is that's the Old Testament. So there, there, major, there are obviously a couple problems with this. Number one, there are plenty of New Testament texts that actually condemn homosexuality, right? Romans 1 is so clear. Uh, not not just um, you know men and men, but also women and women. Just about the idea that homosexuality is a degrading passion um, that actually f- that actually leads to you know a continual suppression of truth and rejection of God leads to these degraded passions that actually get worse and worse, um, which perfectly describes the world around us. And you go from you know soft men to gay men to you know lesbians to 
uh, eco-sexuals <laughs> that we talked about a couple oh, weeks ago, right? Like, you know, and it won't be long. It, it really won't be long. We've talked about that on this episode or on this podcast where um, very soon it'll be pedophilia and, and these other areas of sexual perversion. So Romans 1 is very clear. 1 Corinthians 6 is very clear. Um, Jesus himself addresses this. I think it's in, in uh, Matthew 19 where he talks about um, that God made them male and female. A man shall leave his father and mother and become one flesh with his wife. And so uh, Jesus himself affirms heterosexual marriage and gender roles and um, and uh, and the biological differences between men and women. So the New Testament is laced with this stuff as well. But we also don't buy into the argument that that's the Old Testament. No, of course not. We, we, we think that Jesus came. He's very clear in Matthew chapter 5. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Most of the people who we end up arguing with who say, oh, that's an Old Testament thing, they say, now we just have to love God and love neighbor. And they don't realize, actually, Jesus was quoting Leviticus chapter 19 when he said that, that love God, love neighbor is not a new command that, that Jesus gave. In fact, John makes this very clear. In First John, he says, it's not a new commandment. It's an old commandment. And that old commandment is the entirety of the law summed up. And what does it look like to love God, love neighbor? the law of God. Follow the law of God and you will have fulfilled loving God and loving neighbor. Yeah, it's great that you pointed out the, the love pack factor because when you said what's the pushback I've gotten on this and we've gotten on this is that it sounds more loving just to say to accept everyone as they are. Right. That sounds like the loving response to this issue, right? Gay marriage, well, why do you guys have to fight against no, it so much? They're not just hurting let, anybody. They're not hurting anybody. Even if it's wrong, they're only hurting themselves. They don't actually hurt anybody else. No. It's more loving and accepting to just let them do it. Right. That's the pushback. And that's kind of almost like the wolf in sheep's clothing argument for it. It's the Trojan like, horse. Yeah. Exactly. Like, oh, it looks great on the outside, but then it falls apart when you actually start thinking about it because it's not loving to let somebody do something that the Bible clearly, as you pointed out, in both testaments, condemns. Right. It's, right. it's unloving to say nothing. It's yeah. unloving to not call it out. And it's so, actually hateful. <laughs> right. Like I like and yes, this is where is. the world has has um, misdefined love and hatred. It, it, it's it's like how much do you have to hate someone to watch them um, send themselves to eternal damnation um, without saying anything to warn them? Right. Like in all honesty, that like you that is what a hateful thing to do. Yeah, Absolutely. So, um, so I mean, the battlegrounds for homosexuality, and, and one by one, we're seeing Christian denominations cave on this, one by one. And interestingly, so number two is uh, gender roles, and I think way more denominations have caved on this, but the hermeneutic is the same. So just think about that as we transition into the next one. The hermeneutic is the same, and actually, uh, I think it's Wayne Grudem has a book, it's called Evangelical Feminism. And he connects the same hermeneutic for egalitarian theology to gay marriage and, um, and scripture. And he basically says, you can't argue one without eventually arguing the other. This, this hermeneutic will get you to the same place. And we're watching those denominations. The United Church went this trajectory. The Anglican Church, Presbyterian Church in Canada, at least. Um, they've all gone this way. And, and, and they're now all openly embracing um, homosexuality, all of them. 
in Canada at least. And, uh, and so, and now, so now we've seen the PAOC, uh, the Pentecostal assemblies of Canada, um, embrace egalitarian theology several years ago. Um, and I know for a fact, cause I have, I have friends in the Pentecostal church who, um, in their, at their general assembly four years ago, um, they voted on whether or not to accept homosexuality. Now the vote got turned down and they won that they, you know, the right side won that vote 70 to 30 ish. And then two years ago, the general assembly had it back on the table and they won that vote 60, 40. What do you think is going to happen in two more years? <laughs> right. That it's just the trajectory. So, the, and that's the second thing. So the second thing is gender roles, women in leadership, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, you, why don't you start with this one? I get in. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I laugh because I think like Colleen has mentioned this before. My wife, Colleen, she has mentioned before that there are a lot of friends and family members who are very concerned for her thinking that she's like being oppressed by, by her, like, you know, strict conservative, you know, archaic <laughs> husband. Well, um, she is, but I mean, no, <laughs> just kidding. Not for this reason. Though, <laughs> no, yeah. no, it, it, I, it, that, that right there is actually exactly the problem with this one is people who have never experienced what real complementarianism is. Yeah. Think it's oppression. And yeah. it's like, no, it just means that we recognize that there's differences between what That's a man exactly can do right. and a woman can do, and that they're supposed to work together to accomplish the same goal, which is to build the kingdom. Yeah. And and God actually ordained that the kingdom must be built with men and women building it, because the differences actually complement one another in such a way that we are more fruitful together. Exactly. Like that's that's the whole point of complementarianism. When in in Genesis, when it says, um, you know, Adam named all the animals, and a helper could not, like a mate could not be found for him, and so God made him. It says a helper that is fit for him, like a helper that comes along and and makes up the areas in which he's weak, right? And so men are meant to be strong where women are weak, and women are meant to be strong where men are weak. That's the whole point. There's a softness and there's a hardness. There's there's um, a, an independence and there's a co- an interdependence. There's you know there's there's all of these complementary features in men and women. And the minute you start to say that there's equal equality without distinction, you flatten all of that. Exactly. You take away its fruitfulness. Exactly. The the two pieces fit together perfectly. For like, <laughs> I wasn't even meaning that oh, way, but boy. yes, we have to up the um, rating on this. This is not only our PG now thirteen. But what I mean is like men and women fit together the way they're designed. I, I'm meaning like no, like, no. I know, I know where you're going with this. I'm just saying, they, get there they, faster. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> terrible, it's terrible. Oh, okay. They fit together for a specific way because. Like you said, one's hard, one's soft. They bring together the right balance of people, and we've we've we can observe this and we can identify this when we look at situation where where that isn't the case, like yeah. in families where you know the mom is gone, and what does that mean for the for the kids? How does yeah. it look? How does it reflect? And yes, sometimes that that kind of thing happens, and it's something. And don't that get needs me wrong, compl- the grace of God can you know the grace of 100%. God comes in. Yeah, and and to be honest with you, that's part of the gift of the church, right? You know, the, the, the single mom who's taking care of her kids, those kids can be raised with father figures in the church. That's part of what the church is for. But 
Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. God designed the world to work in a, in a particular way. And one of the ways he created it to be designed is that men lead and, and women um, help. And that, that's just, that's foundational. That is foundational to the way that God created the world. I actually really love the way Doug Wilson puts this. He says, God created the world in such a way, when he said to um, the ground, right? When he said to the ground, that, you know, you'll like thorns and thistles are going to come up and, and he cursed the ground. That wasn't a suggestion to be followed. It was a, it was a plain statement of fact. And so when God said to Eve that your, your husband will rule over you, he was stating a fact for how the world works, that males will dominate the world. Like that, their, their dominance is going to lead the world. It's going to rule the world. So what um, Doug Wilson says is that either you have constructive male dominance, which looks like servant leadership, or you have destructive male dominance, which looks like overbearing, which looks like domination, which looks tyrant, violent, like di- tyrant, all that kind of stuff. And so the the whole idea with actually Doug Wilson, you should just go on and read his No Quarter November uh, um uh, post on feminism, but uh, he basically just says like, w- because that was a statement of fact, um, you're either going to have um, hard men rule the world with constructive dominance, or you're going to have soft men rule the world through manipulate the ma- manipulation of women and dominance, and and that's what we see through the feminist movement. That's what we're seeing through Me Too. It's 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 brutal. So I I look at that and I say. Um, the, the reality is, is that God has created men and women differently and he, and, you know, and, and w- let's just give a shout out to, you know, our fellow rebel Erica. I think the fact that she wears the, the title weaker vessel as a badge of honor, you know, it's, it's biblical. Peter, Peter, uh, calls on husbands to care for their wives as the weaker vessels. And she wears that as a badge of honor, recognizing that, um, this is, this is the glory that God has given to women. This is, this is the glory. And, and there's a unique glory that is, um, that is, uh, displayed when women walk within the calling that God has given to them and men walk within the calling that, that God has given to them. And yet we live in a culture where so many women are trying to take the lead and so many men are shirking their responsibility. And that's just sin. Yeah, exactly. The, and the, the other thing, I, Erica's a great, a great example. There's some other women. We've talked, we've yeah. talked about this, joked about this. There's the, the failing isn't on the women's side in this, in no. this, in this argument. It's on the men's side. Absolutely. The fact that we can like, just if you think about it in, in our church and other churches, we we can look at it and be like, well, there's women in our church who would make great elders. There's women in our church who would be great at speaking publicly, but they don't do it because they follow this, this theology rightly because it's not a talent thing. It's not they, that they're not capable of doing these things. It's just that they know where they're supposed to be serving, what they're supposed to be doing because they're helping in those areas because the failing there is that there isn't that we can see those people stick out so much because there isn't men doing this already. Right. Right. That's right. And so it's the fact that women have taken up a role that they don't need to have taken up in history because the men stopped doing it. Yeah. And because we, like you said, we became soft and we became placid and we thought women serve us rather than us serve them because leadership in the church all throughout scripture is servanthood. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean, <laughs> it doesn't mean we become their slaves or anything, but it means we're supposed to be laying down our lives to make to serve others, right? Absolutely. And the fact that we've lost that and we thought we should be served rather than serve 
meant that women started to do the roles that they shouldn't have been doing. Right. So. Yep. That's exactly right. And the hate mail can go to Nate. <laughs> <laughs> um, number three is hell and the eternal state of the unsaved. Um, you know, this is one that I'm seeing increasingly, at least in our denomination and in our neck of the woods, um, we're seeing more and more kind of a, an embracing of, uh, of universalism in some fashion or annihilationism, some, some doctrine that would explain away hell or some doctrine that would um, uh, make hell not uh, eternal conscious torment, which is what we believe that the Bible teaches. Um, and, and this is increasingly popular. And, and one of the catchphrases, I don't know if you've heard anybody argue this way with you, Chris, um, is they'll say, you know, do you, can you think of somebody that you, you know, somebody that you loved who died not knowing Jesus? And of course, we all know somebody. And they say, like, don't you wish... Don't you wish that they would have received God's grace? Don't you wish that they could be with you in in heaven? And when you say yes to that, they say, so then do you think that you're more merciful than God? And it's just such a backward thinking argument. And I think that all three of these first, these first three that that we talk about here, I think all three of them um, kind of are birthed out of just an improper view of God. Right. So, so even that statement that you said about homosexuality, like they're not hurting anybody. So, you know, what's, you know, what's, what's the problem here? They're sinning against a holy God. They are offending someone. They are offending God. And for some reason, that doesn't matter to us. Unless there's a person being offended somewhere, probably a visible minority being <laughs> you know, offended somewhere, then who cares? But when a holy God is being blasphemed, is being offended, it doesn't matter to us. And it's because we've lost our reverence for God. We've, we've lost the fear of God is what we've done. Mm-hmm. And, and similarly, this is the entire uh, argument against hell is, you know, how can we as finite beings, how can God punish us eternally for something? And the reality is, is because not because our sin was infinitely horrible. It's because that sin is against an infinitely holy God, right? And this is the difference. This is if if somebody um, if somebody you know um, says something bad against you, right? If somebody says that they want to assassinate Chris Poots, that's a bad thing. It's a criminal charge. It probably won't get followed up on with the same sort of you know. Um, in, uh, investigatory enthusiasm as if somebody said, I want to assassinate Justin Trudeau, right? Because the, I think you're more important than Trudeau. Let me just throw Thanks, that buddy. out there. Yeah, you're welcome. There but, is a petition. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, the office of prime minister means something and, and the, the person who's offended and their title, their importance, their significance, their worth, their value is taken into account. So this is why you can't speak ill of the queen. This is why you can't, you know, and, uh, and so, and it used to be that you couldn't speak poorly of the president, although that's obviously changed in the last several years. But uh, so because God is infinitely holy, even the smallest, even the smallest offense to God is worthy of eternal punishment because he is eternally good. He is perfect. He is holy. And we've lost that. We've just lost the sight of that. And quite honestly, we've, we, we, and if you ever have argued with somebody over this whole idea, they don't use the Bible. They just use those kinds of moral arguments. They use this, this sort of like, do you think it's fair that God would, you know, send somebody to hell for eternity? And especially you talk about people with the, uh, who believe in the doctrine of election, 
right? If you, so you get some people who are rejecting Christianity, but they've been taught the doctrine of election. That's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. Somebody who God did not choose is going to spend eternity in hell. That's a tough, that's a tough pill to swallow. But the Bible is clear. And the Bible, the Bible says that one of the reasons that God creates those who will spend eternity in hell is that so that forever all of his attributes are on display. His, his mercy for those who receive mercy and his justice for those who receive wrath. And that's the reason for it. And, and unless, only, only because we make ourselves the main figure of the story does this even offend us. But if God's the main figure of the, of the story, if, if John Calvin is right and the universe is the theater of God's glory and he's the main character, he's the protagonist, the rest of us are just side characters in his story, now it starts to make a little bit more sense because we're correctly oriented. Amen. Yeah. Sorry, I went on a long one. No, 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 no. I, I love the point when you're, you're pointing out like... Uh, you're about to say the point when you're preaching. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yes. Nate has moments. Yeah. His hands start going. You just let him go. It's the way it works. No, I, I, love, the, I love the analogy when you're pointing out about like sinning against who you're sinning against matters. Totally. And so the way, I, the way I always try to articulate this to people when I'm arguing this one, which does happen quite actually quite a lot, is think of your workplace. Now, this is every analogy breaks down somewhere, but if you think of your workplace and you're the owner or your boss is the main fulcrum. If I turned to my colleague or I got caught saying about just somebody who's on equal authoritative status with me at my work and was like, ah, he's, he's an idiot. doesn't work hard. Um, he's incompetent or something like that. I might get written up. Maybe, maybe not losing my job for it. Right. But if I said that exact same thing about my boss and my, now my boss is, you know, um, I, I, I wouldn't say this about him, but if I said the same thing about my boss, I would likely get fired and justly fired right? because it matters who I've said these things against. Right. And the same idea with God, when we sin, if I sin against you, maybe our relationship breaks down. That's right. really the worst scenario that can happen in that, in that area. Maybe you punch me like, mm, probably not. Uh, but I mean like very tangible results. But if I sin against God, I've done something immensely mad, like immensely bad. And that's why I think when you read through Samuel and you think of King David, when he sins with Bathsheba, he sin. Who, who does he, who does he repent yeah. to? He Psalm repents. Yeah. Exactly. He repents to God. He doesn't yeah. repent. In fact, uh, Psalm 51 says against you and only you have I sinned. Exactly. Oh God. Yeah. yeah that's and what, you're that, thinking, what about Uzziah? <laughs> like, what about the husband? Isn't it Uzziah? I think. Exactly. Sheba, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Because he, he recognized the, just the, ex, the extreme horror of uh, offending right. and uh, being right. of God's, uh, of of a sovereign God, basically. Yeah. Um, I don't even, I had a hard time saying that, but he recognized. And I think once we, you understand that right perspective um, of that, then it makes sense. And these things make sense. And then we can look into things like Romans nine, where it's like, I've created you for one thing and created this for another thing. And it makes sense. And it, it takes the responsibility off us. The other thing is my, my wife always says this. And I, cause I, I often like, I want things fair. <laughs> and I want things to be fair with what, with friends, with other people, just because that's just the way my sin nature works. I'm like, fairness, fairness, fairness. And she always reminds me, well, it's not fair that you get to go to, that you're saved because you don't deserve it. And what a good wife. She, exactly. But it's, <laughs> and, and that's, and I think that's where 
Christians need to keep reminding ourselves that we're the ones who are treated unfairly by the fact that we've been given grace. Absolutely. Everybody gets what everybody. (laughs) There's a, there's a book. I think it's John MacArthur. I could be wrong. It's on my bookshelf somewhere, but um, there's, it talks about the scandal of grace. I think it's called scandalous grace or the scandal of the cross or something like that. that. And, uh, and, and it's a, it's a good reminder that, um, you know, grace is scandalous because, you know, the, the sinner gets, uh, Barabbas gets to go free, right? The sinner gets to go free at the, at the cross. Like the great exchange gives us Christ, imputes to us Christ's righteousness and imputes our sin to him. And I think that's what Christians are missing is exactly that. You don't want what's fair, right? If you want what's fair, you will spend eternity in hell. And so it isn't about what happens to those who aren't saved. It's not that that's not, in fact, every time in scripture, that line gets crossed, right? Where, you know, that's when in Romans nine, they're, they're, you know, Paul's dealing, Paul and his imaginary person he's arguing with in (laughs) Romans nine are going back and forth and asking questions and he's answering them. And then he says, and then you'll ask, you know, basically how is that fair? Right. And, and then he says, but who are you, O man, to speak back to God? Can, can what is molded out of clay, not, you know, and, and then, and Job in the same way, yeah, like it's, funny. he asks all these questions and then he gets to that point where he says, but that's not fair. And then that's when God says to Job, gird up your loins like a man. I'm going to speak to you now and you're going to answer me. And he says, where were you when the foundation of the world was laid? Like, where were you when, when I um, created the, the mountains and the sun and the moon and the stars and all that kind of stuff. And so there is a point where all of a sudden we are, we are blaspheming a holy God when we start to insert as if we can understand these things and impute to him some some measure of unrighteousness that he would dare to do this and we can ask our questions and we can um and we can try to find answers and we can work through those things but the moment we start asking them in such a way that accuses god of unfairness that's in scripture at least whenever god turns and, and he starts dealing with the person asking the questions in a different sort of way. So we need to be careful. Yeah, we could. We, I feel like we could do a whole episode yeah, on totally, that one. Totally. Uh, but let's move on. And we only cut it short because we want to get through all five. Yeah. Number four, social, social justice. justice. Yeah. And this is, and here's, here's what I'll just say. I'll actually just say, go to the social justice statement. Just Google social justice statement. I think they did a fantastic job. There are a few things. I mean, it's a little, it's a little pre-millennial. It's got a little John MacArthur in it. <laughs> uh, I wish it was a little bit more post-mill. Um, but, I get, but I know what he's getting at and um but it, and it it's a good statement and we should be able to get on board with it and and so the idea here is that we there's a, there's two ma- manners to this number one is that um justice is measured by our ideas of fairness right that's number one so socially we have to we have to fight inequality in various ways and and it's interesting because you know one of the social justice warriors main thing is is feminism and the equality of men and women and from a social justice side of things they're talking about equality without distinction and that's not biblical justice right so you have to make sure that you're fighting for biblical justice not social justice and uh, and I would just say go and check out the social justice statement because that'll kind of sum things up and I know we're, we're running short on time here of where we want to get to today so I would say go check out that statement um, and uh, and here's here's a kind of big application point for this and I would just say Christians can't take their cues from the world about what is and isn't in in supposed to be front and center for us right there there are certain sins of our time 
right? Jesus talks about this, and I think it's in Matthew 7 or something like that. And he talks about how, um, you know, we need to be aware of the signs. He talks about how the Pharisees can, can see the clouds rolling in, and they know that a storm is coming, but they can't read the signs of the times. I think we need to, we need to understand what the sins of the, our times are. And there's too many Christians who are caught up in the social justice culture who are taking their cues from the world. And the world is all about right now feminism and racism. So now the Gospel Coalition thinks that they need to do an MLK conference, right? And, and uh, you have all these uh, Gospel Coalition writers who are writing about, you know, equality between men and women and women's rights and pay gaps and stuff like that. And you're like, you're just taking your cues from the world, right? Like, let, let's read the signs of the times. And that doesn't mean what the unregenerate culture thinks are important. It's what does God's word say? And I I think anybody who wants to talk about any kind of justice and isn't confronting abortion, and this is my main issue with what Keller said in his uh, op-ed in the New York Times, um, was that he didn't talk about abortion. You know, you you want to talk about racism? Sure. Absolutely. Racism is not good. The Bible condemns it. Um, Paul spends a whole lot of time talking to the Jews about not being racist towards the Gentiles. 100%. Absolutely. I'm with you there. But you have an opportunity right here to talk about justice. Your op-ed in the New York Times is about justice, and you're not going to talk about abortion. Talk about missing the signs of the times, right? Amen. And so the underlying issue in all of these, and the reasons these come up, as things that our Christians are battling against is the doctrine of, like you, as we said, inerrancy of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture to for us to lean on in this in these areas, and I think that's always under attack because it is our foundation, it is our where we get our authority. Um, obviously, it's through Christ, but this is how we know Christ, right? Yeah. Um, and so, what are some of the things that you've heard in terms of like? pushback so so much against in the battlegrounds as people have argued against you about inerrancy of scripture in our, in our church oh, and other man, churches. I, I hear all kinds of things. I mean, it, it goes, it, it's, it spans from the Bible was written so long ago and it's out of, it, you know, we are, um, it's archaic and it's out of touch and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's all the way from that to um, the division between the Testaments, right? That, oh, that's Old Testament, that's Old Testament, that's Old Testament. Two, just um, explaining away clear uh, passages um, by pointing to the culture, right? So people will, will say, well, you know, I know Paul told women not to exercise authority uh, over men in the church, but that was cultural because women weren't educated at the time. And so they explain away the clear teaching of Scripture with some sort of cultural uh, anecdote. So, and, and then everything in between. So I, I've had people argue that, Nope, the Bible is just wrong on that. That that's archaic. You know, that's just out of touch. And then I've had people who kind of explain things away culturally, um, and I think obviously both are in error. But those are the two ways that the uh, that the inerrancy of Scripture is under attack. And then I would add to that sufficiency of Scripture. And I think particularly in our denomination where we are seeing an increasingly um, problematic trajectory towards the kind of um, new apostolic. Um, theology, um, and that is special revelation, you know, messages from God, prophetic utterances and words and all that kind of stuff, and that this stuff is more necessary than Scripture, and, well, first of all, that it's even legitimate, <laughs> then, then secondly, that it's more important than Scripture, to the point where I had uh, a pastor friend of mine who, po- who quoted uh, Charles Spurgeon on, 
online. And basically the Charles, Charles Spurgeon quote was something along the lines of, you know, people are so enamored by special revelation and, and secret messages from God um, when they don't realize that at their fingertips is like a gold mine of uh, an, a resource they'll never exhaust in the word of God. So a friend of mine posted that Spurgeon quote and somebody said, that's not what the Bible says. We need new revelation. And, and the guy who said that was another pastor in my denomination. I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like you're, you're arguing against that. Like I, it's one thing you want to have the cessationist, uh, continuationist debate. Let's have that debate. We've had that on here before. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the, the word of God being sufficient, giving us all that we need for life and for godliness. Mm-hmm. And you have too many Christians who say, I need the word of God. And I need that. And that's not enough for me. They're looking for some sort of sil- silver bullet. Exactly. That's I, from my perspective, the one that where this always seems to land and, and get get argued away is that um, you can't possibly believe that is always the argument. Like, and it always frames around all the supernatural things that we do believe, the creation of the world, six day creation. Yep. Um, we affirm that, but the Bible says that, so that's what we affirm. The virgin birth. Yep. And. Those are the things that I find are always under attack within our churches. So I, I'm not specifically speaking about our church, but I'm speaking at the church at large. One of the things that I think has drifted over the last little while is that is the idea of the virgin birth. It's, it's not talked about. It's not thought of. And it's, the, it's one of the foundations of what we believe. Because if you don't have the virgin birth, it's very hard to get to a resurrection, if you don't have creation, it's very hard to get to, well, what can I trust? What can I not trust? And it starts right. pulling away those strings until all it is is a book of good suggestions. Totally, It's haikus for your life. It's good lessons. It's moral stories rather than an authoritative word of God of here's what's happened and here's what to do and here's how to live. Yeah. And once you start pulling those strings and once you start um, basically picking and choosing which verses you're going to live by and which verses you're not going to live by, you start seeing those Christians. Like we've, we've talked about it. We have good friends who will always say, well, love your neighbor and love God and love your neighbor. That's really the only thing that I'm going to believe out of that, out of the book. And it's like, well, that's, that, that's a good moral, moral lesson. If you want, if that's all you're going to pull out, you, you've done a more, a good moral lesson to love your neighbor, but it means nothing yeah. because if you've pulled that out of a book and you've chose to look, love one verse, but you've disregarded all of the other verses in the Bible, it doesn't make any sense. And so I, I always find that what's under attack is just all of those, all of those big events, all of those things. And people do it in ways of nitpicking language of trying to find errors and trying to find, and it's, and when I say this, it's not, it's not the atheists who are doing this. It's Christians that are doing this. And yeah. this is why I think we need to start, get back to what is Orthodox belief of, about the word of God and then let's believe that. Absolutely. Amen. Um, okay. I'm just going <laughs> to uh, tie a bow on this, as, sure. <laughs> as I like to say. And uh, all, all I would say is that judgment begins in the house of the Lord, which means that we cannot be surprised that the world is embracing so many lies if this is what's at stake in the church. If, if we're fighting over this stuff in the church, it's no wonder that the world is, is confused. So it is worth the fight. Pastors who are listening, purge these ideas from your church. Do not let people take up membership who do not hold to Orthodox Christianity. Um, Hold them accountable. Disciple them in love. 
correct them, rebuke them, um, and lead them to truth. And, uh, and for those of you who aren't pastors, get into small groups. Get into a small group and help set the tone in the small group where you can challenge one another and rebuke one another and correct one another. And be in order to create that culture, by the way, you need to be open to that. So let's, let's have churches that are willing to correct one another, willing to um, go to the word of God and make that our final authority. Don't let your friends and family who claim to be Christians get away with diminishing the word of God because it's having a dire effect on the culture around us. Amen. All right. We will see you next week when we start some Advent stuff. It's going to look a little di- different, um, but uh, stay tuned for that. We'll see you next time.